Welcome to the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Michael Gallagher. I'm the sports reporter for the Nashville Post and the Nashville Scene, and you can follow me on Twitter at MGSports underscore. Do I need to start introducing you as Intrepid? No, I, th- I think one podcast is, is enough. Okay. Megan Megan started that, and Gover kind of has taken it and ran with it. So, Would you consider yourself Intrepid? Uh, I'll leave that up to everyone else to decide. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to label myself or box myself into a corner. <laughs> Nobody, nobody puts baby in a corner. Uh, all right, we got a lot of stuff to get to today. So we had some positive vibes, and I know you guys had a lot of those conversations on It's All Your Fault. Check that out every single Monday from the Nashville scene in the Nashville Post featuring intrepid reporter Michael Gallagher and Jeremy K. Gover. Uh, every single Monday again, you guys had positive things to say. Well, the Seattle game on Tuesday evening, more of the negative, and it paints the road trip in a much different light, especially considering what's coming up on Thursday against Colorado. They will be back at home against the Rangers. So we will discuss the good and the bad so far of the road trip. A lot of discussion about UC Saros, who gets pulled in the first period. I'm not sure if that was the right decision, but we'll discuss that. Sort of the the strategy and philosophy behind making line changes in-game and making line changes between games. And we'll have sort of a uh, we'll riff a little bit about that conversation. What exactly would a shakeup look like, in Michael's opinion, in your opinion, sir, about this roster and situation? Uh, John Hines' situation uh, behind the bench as well. A little temp check there on the uh, hot seat. And, of course, I wanted to have a <laughs> – almost all of that is negative. <laughs> with, with, yeah. the except, with the exception of, like, congratulating 27-year-old Jordan Gross on two goals. Way to go, dude. That's cool. That's a cool moment. Uh, I, I really like Mark Jankowski. I like that addition to the starting lineup. I think that's a cool thing to talk about. Um, and now that I've said those two sentences, I'm not sure what else positive we are going to have to say on the show today. So I thought we'd finish with a hypothetical, and I want the audience to get involved in this. So send us tweets at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall at 440 Sports. If you could go on a road trip to, to watch the Nashville Predators and you can pick four road venues that are regionally close together you know whether that's the trip they're just on right now in the pacific northwest in canada whether that's the northeast whether that's the midwest whether that's the the far out west in the desert and in california there has to be some cohesion and some regionality to your trip but you got to pick four road games you can go to in a row what are the four road games you're going to go watch the predators play in sort of you know not necessarily trying to win games. <laughs> it's just you what what teams do you want to see? What cities do you want to visit? What buildings do you what rinks do you want to visit? The experience uh, of it. Exactly. And so I thought I thought we need it we need to lighten the mood a bit at the end of the show. So we'll have a conversation and I want your road trip so send us to send those to us and I may I may uh, figure out a way to 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 give you guys a little something something for whoever I think is maybe the best one or whoever Michael thinks is the best one. We'll We'll see if we can come up with some some kind of prize. I don't know. Something out of uh, Michael's new man cave, maybe. I don't know. To be clear, we're, we're not paying for you to go on said road trip. No, not at all. Not at all. This is co- totally <laughs> fictional, but it's designed to lighten the mood because I have a feeling the rest of the pod today will be fairly heavy. Uh, of course, the gold standard before we do any of that is brought to you by Jaspers. I, I have a feeling that Jaspers could be involved in, 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 in a potential prize, just hypothetically. Just for example, that could be a thing. Uh, I use Jasper's. I mean, exactly. Great, great happy hour specials for Nashville Predators games. If you still want to watch them, ten dollars smash burgers, three dollar beers. We of course always still watch the Nashville Predators. That's a joke. But I was watching. I had a bunch of people over with a bunch of kids on Saturday to watch Tennessee Georgia, and 
we were like, man, what should we do about like feeding like four other couples and like all these kids? I mean, I'm talking like nine children under six years old. It was a madhouse. I, I heard Jasper's has a fajita bar. Madhouse. So I went to Jasper's and I was like, give me the party, the family party pack. 20 chicken tenders, huge hit with the kiddos. 10 garlic parmesan, 10 southern style. Kiddos devoured 20 chicken tenders. Got 12 barbecue pork sliders with coleslaw. Delicious. Got 12 smoked turkey wraps with avocado smash and bacon and just delicious. Got got the queso with the marinated tomatoes and the black beans and the and the chorizo all stirred up, threw it into a crock pot so it stayed warm. Gone by the end of the Tennessee Georgia game. Disappeared. And you get a side item with that family pack as well. It's 160 bucks. It fed like like what 10 adults and like nine kids. And we had leftovers. And we had sweet chili broccoli was our side item, like just absolutely awesome. So look, for like 150 bucks, 160 bucks, you can get an entire tailgate party, watch party, family event, whatever you need, catered, delivered to you, and have leftovers. Huge hit. Everybody loved it. Everybody loved it. It was a huge hit. Tennessee Vols offense, not so much, but huge hit with all the kids and the adults. That's a pretty that's a pretty tough, uh pretty tough um needle to thread there. So yeah. That that's a man of many words, Michael Gallagher. <laughs> yeah. I've I've only no, been to Jasper's awesome. I've only been to Jasper's once, so I need to set my game up so I can actually Lend more authenticity to, to these ads and, and be like, yes, this stuff is awesome. Go fucking get it right now. Yeah, there you go. That was better. More authority and some F words. I love I love a nice yes. F bomb. Uh, go to Weiss Liquors as well. Support local business. Jasper's locally owned and operated. Weiss family owned and operated since 1932 in East Nashville, uh, right there by the Titan Stadium, right there off the main road. Uber Eats. Uber Eats. Search Weiss Liquors. Have the booze delivered to your house in as quickly as 20 minutes. Uh, it's a fantastic place. They got a good bourbon selection. Andrew's the manager. If you need help with wine or whatever, like I do, you pop in there. You say, Andrew, hey, man, help me out with this. Uh, so check them out. Weiss Liquors and Jaspers, we appreciate their support. Proud sponsors of the Gold Standard. And of course, you all supporting us should support them. Local business. You know the drill. Okay. So I thought for a second that we might have a positive thing to talk about on the show today. <laughs> they got gotcha. you. And they, then they reeled the, you in. Yes, they did. And then the first period against Seattle took place on Tuesday evening, in which a team I think is that has been, I mean, obviously in the standings, they're not being overlooked right now because they're basically at the top of the Pacific Division. With, but, but this team has made some sneaky good additions, Seattle. They are playing really good hockey. They play real fast. They never stop. They never quit. And they totally dominated. They ran UC Saros out of the building. We can get to Saros in just a second, but what it felt like, Michael, was that 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 they had these this progress, a really like probably the the best all around showing in one game since returning to this continent against Calgary. The St. Louis game was at home, so maybe this one against a better opponent on the road, maybe more complete, a four one win on Thursday. Then they make this massive comeback against Vancouver. You guys talked a lot about it. And I thought, you know what? This Seattle game could define the entire road trip. Because you get destroyed by Edmonton and you get two wins. So if you play well in this game, get just a point. You feel like you had a successful road trip, but they get completely demolished. So it eliminates all of the positive growth that took place. 
They ran the same lineup out there as they did against Vancouver. I, I don't know what the main takeaway is. They are now three, seven, and one since returning to this country. <laughs> uh, they will play the best. They will play the Stanley Cup defending champs on Thursday night against Colorado. Then they have New York and Minnesota on Saturday and next Tuesday. Give me some hope, Michael, and tell me that you saw something in those two middle games and that there was some flukiness in the Seattle and Edmonton game. Three goal dif differentials in almost every game. Trailing by three in almost every game. I don't know how to spin this one, man. I, I cannot do that because I was taught not to lie to people, so I, I won't. <laughs> but, I mean, to your to your point and to the, uh, the listener from It's All Your Fault that pointed out that we underestimated Seattle they they look really good. Burakovsky, 13 points, four goals. Jaden Schwartz, Jordan Eberle, Matty Beniers. Like, they have a solid team. And the, and it wasn't just like last year when they played Seattle and Seattle just housed them both times I, for whatever reason. The Predators, and I think is this is another one of those instances that I've been saying for months, the Predators struggle with teams that are that are faster, that have more skill players, and guys that can, that can score. And it's weird to sit here and think that Seattle in year two has more more forwards that you would consider goal scorers than the Predators do, but that that's that's really the case of what we saw last night. And it's just the Edmonton game was really bad, and then you rebound with two um, two solid wins, and you're like, okay, the, the the Calgary game, Calgary was kind of struggling a little bit. Vancouver was a nice comeback story, but they never should have been down three goals in the first place. And then Seattle just comes out and just beats the brakes off of them. I, I just think really looking at the four game road trip. Calgary is the only game I think you can look at and say that was like a victory. I know you technically got a win against Vancouver, but the fact that you were down three goals and had to fight back against a really bad Vancouver team, I think three of the four games they should have lost, and they they have losses in right. two of them. I just I just don't think it's, they're they're at a good spot right now. I don't really see anything positive coming out of this. And normally I like to try to find something positive because I don't like to hit people with a bunch of negativity and be like, oh, well we're out. But I mean, literally, I can't. Saros is, is getting hung out to dry and his numbers have looked bad. I guess if you want a positive, maybe Kevin Lankinen is a lot better than David Riddick. That's really the only thing I can look at and say, this is one thing you can like kind of be excited about. Lankinen has been significantly better than David Riddick by, by leaps and bounds. What, what's yeah. funny is the Vancouver game. Lankinen has a third best save percentage in the league right now. He's very, he's very, he's very good. 31 out of 33 against San Jose in, in Europe. 29 out of 30 against the against Calgary in that win. He did give up four goals to Columbus early on, but then he came in and only gave up, the, I guess, the one to Seattle. Um, and I think with with him playing as well as he, as he has, I'm not saying this is a, an option. I'm oh, don't you, don't you, don't, don't say these words out loud. Don't no, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not benching Soros. <laughs> I'm saying if you need to give Soros a four or five day break, to clear his head, reevaluate things. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're in a better spot that you can roll your backup out there because Kevin Lincoln's playing so well. But if Saros does have to miss two or three games because you just need he needs a mental break or whatever, yeah. I think you're in a position to where you can probably go out and, and win most of those games now with your backup goalie. Or at least more than three out of eleven, which is what they've done since returning yeah. to, to, to the United States. They're three, seven, and one since returning. And what happens is is a loss like Seattle, a first period like Seattle packaged with the Edmonton performance where you just got run out of the building again, again, just a far more skilled, far more talented, far faster team. What happens is the Vancouver game changes in your head. Like you, you view, you take the four points because you beat Calgary and Vancouver. You take the four points. No, no question. But in your head, when you're analyzing it, it, it to your point, going down three, nothing, a lot, a lot of credit. The team deserves a lot of credit for fighting back, scoring three goals to tie it up. And frankly, 
I was watching that. I was I rewatched that game on Tuesday morning and I before the Seattle game, and I was like, this team needs to play like it's down by three goals every time, because when they 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 were <laughs> they were buzzing for the entirety of basically the middle of the the second half of that game, and they dominated. I could not remember a shift where Vancouver went into the Predator zone and just like kept them pinned down for those long you know, minute, minute and a half long shifts where they're just, uh, the opposing team has dominated the Predators. Vancouver did none of that. Like, I think I wrote down, like, they, they they got like three or four shots in like the final 15 minutes of the game. Like, they, there was yeah. maybe one or two shifts in the third period of that game against Vancouver where I was like, oh, that was a good shift by Vancouver. Like, it was complete domination by the Preds in terms of pace of play and pushing the tempo and all that other stuff. And then to do what you do against Seattle, it paints that game to me as a as a very different in a very different light. Now, Carrier, I saw a lot of I was gonna say I saw a lot of similarities in the way that first period of against Vancouver played out with the way Seattle did. They jump all over and they get out to a multiple goal lead. And yes, the first goal against Seattle was entirely UC Saros' fault. That was a soft goal that he should not have let in. But the next three. I understand it's the goalie's job to stop them, but the extenuating circumstances around around those and then two of the first three goals against Vancouver, Saros is getting screened by the opposing team and by his own players. That happened last night on multiple occasions. The defensemen are all out of position. Ryan McDonough, I think on one of them, it was a defensive zone tur- turnover, and Ryan McDonough just like let the puck go. There was uh, another I'm, one where... Like, I'm Mc, a, McDonough, Mc, McDonough is trying to do things that like... I like Roman Yossi does, and he's not Roman yeah. Yossi. Like you, you cannot out skate and out handle somebody in your own zone in the slot. And then, like I, again, I I want to get to Saros in just a second because I just want to I want to. I guess I just want to wrap up the, I don't know the awfulness. <laughs> maybe maybe we're already at the Saros part of this conversation. The only note I wanted to have and get your thoughts on was because I know you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the philosophical approach of this team and coaching staff from a physicality versus speed and skills standpoint. And to see when I saw the scratches and I was like, Carrier, Glass, Tolvin, and scratched. No Tomasino, obviously. That's arguably four of their most dynamic offensive weapons that they could deploy throughout up and down the roster. And they were scratched against Vancouver, scratched, obviously, against Seattle. Now, Carrier... And they're they're four of the young players that John Hines theoretically should be good at developing. Yes, now Carrier, I think, has had has had more struggles than I expected. I, I I think very highly of Alexander Carrier. I do I think he's had a lot of times where a guy just went right around him, created a scoring chance, and I'm going, what are you doing, 45? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. So I, I understand Jordan Gross played well, got the two goals. That was the right call. John Hines made the right call there. Jan- Mark for, Jankowski. For one game. Right. Mark Jankowski. It looks like a piece I want to see in this lineup more often. So I, I, I'm okay with it. But there was a game, there was a moment against Seattle where Cole Smith had the puck in the slot, like <laughs> wide open. And That's I was just, just a funny sentence to hear. And I was just like, dude. And I, I don't even remember what happened. That's how meaningless the experience was. It did. I don't, I don't think the puck was on net. I don't think there was even a shot on goal, or maybe there was and it went wide. I don't even remember. But I, but I, what I remembered was, oh, that's the wrong guy to have the puck right there. <laughs> and nothing yeah. and nothing came of it. Nothing came of it. He was wide open in a high danger slot chance. Uh, now, let's get to Saros because I know you want to talk about the goals. Let me point something out first. 12th in the league in high danger chances allowed. Is that a little surprising to you? That's according to Natural Stat Trick. The Preds <sighs> are actually above average, near the top 10 
in terms of not allowing high danger scoring chances. Now we know the other side that they're terrible at scoring goals. <laughs> so they're 20, they're 22nd in the NHL in creating high danger scoring chances for themselves. That's not surprising. Are you surprised that they are number 12 in the NHL in high danger chances allowed on defense? Cause we're about to talk Soros in defense here. I yes. And no, I mean, I'm, I'm not, so it seems like every time the Predators allow a goal, it's from a high danger area. It seems like it's from right in front of the crease or somewhere around the net where they shouldn't be getting these shots off because there should be theoretically a defenseman there stopping them. But uh, that's uh, I feel like that's just kind of the how the Predators live and die. They live and die by hanging their goalie out to dry. And, and I think that's just kind of that we that leads into the philosophical debate of this is how they play games and this is this is what they do. So I don't expect it to change much, but the Predators do – I feel like a lot of their goals, I don't know the actual percentage, but most of their goals have come from high danger areas and it's, it's got to stop. I feel like. So you were kind of going through each goal. Now I thought the decision to pull Saros was interesting. Now, traditionally you give up four goals in the first period on the road against a fat, a, a, a hot team. I get it. You pull your goaltender. It's not your night. I understand, but I think you're about to go through what I thought, which was at least the last two weren't even close to his fault. And against Vancouver, not much different happened. Three goals in the first period. And you let him work yeah. it out, and it worked out in your favor. He pitched a shutout, 45 saves, whatever the number was against Vancouver. I, I was a little surprised that he yanked him because I didn't feel like the goals were on Soros as much. Now... I feel like the reason for that, though, is if you don't pull Soros against Seattle, there's a chance it snowballs and he goes up three or four more, and then you pull him later. I don't feel like giving up three goals against Vancouver. There was much worry of, oh, he's going to keep the floodgates are going to stay open because Vancouver's not as good as Seattle is. That's another point we've failed to mention here is that Seattle's got one of the best records in the NHL and they lost badly. Vancouver has one of the worst records in the NHL. Yeah. And they gave up a three goal lead. Let's be honest about what they did against who they did it against. I, here's my thing about Soros. Vancouver outpreded the Preds. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Um, here's the thing about Saros. I, I just will make one broad statement and I'll let you run with it. I do not think you see Saros is as good as he's been in the past right now. Like he is like, he's had slow starts. We've documented it. He's given up some softer goals than I have expected out of UC Saros at his bet. When he is playing UC Saros hockey, he does not give up one-on-one -on -one shots from outside the circle coming off the wing where you've got no screen and no high danger chance and you're just giving up a, a straight goal like you one-on-one -on -one. that has happened more times this year than I can remember from a UC Soros from UC Soros so I don't think he's as good but I don't think he's getting any help at all from his defense even if the high danger chance statistic doesn't indicate that necessarily I so I, I guess my point is I don't think it's he's clearly not as good but I don't think it's as bad as the numbers or getting pulled after, you know, less than one period on Tuesday night. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Saros finished third in the Vezina trophy voting last year. He didn't just suddenly forget how to play hockey in, in two months over the summer. Going through the goals last night. And, and I did this on, on it's all your fault on, on Monday with the, the three Vancouver goals kind of broke them down and, and why I thought they, what the reason was for them being allowed to score. Jordan Emerly's first goal. It was a soft one that Saros should have stopped. However, McDonough, before Jordan Eberle had that breakaway, kind of gave this half-ass whack at his stick and then let him skate right past him. Lozon was also haphazardly just standing on the other side of the ice, not really doing much. So, yeah, it was a soft goal. 
But the defense that, could have been tighter and made that shot a lot harder for Eberle to, to just fire off before. That, that, one was, that one's on Saros, in my opinion. Yes. The second goal, Borgen's goal. He was essentially, Saros was essentially screened by both Granlin and Lozon. There was also, I forget who it was, but there was a Seattle Kraken player that was also in that mix too. But Saros is in the middle of the net and he's got Lozon to his right. And granted, the shot came from the left, but he's got Lozon to his right just standing there like a damn tree, not doing anything. And then you have Granlin who was trying to make a play, but he skated in front of Saros, kind of went down to try to block the shot, came back up. And when he did, I, I feel like I'm not saying the reason he gave the goal, but I feel like a lot of the reason why that goal happened was Saros didn't see the puck coming because there was just so much traffic in front of him. Two out of the three pieces people that were in front of him happened to be on his team. On Burakovsky's goal, which was the third goal, again, that was off a defensive zone turnover. Wenberg kind of drew Saros out of the crease. Burakovsky, he, he got he went to the back door. He found him, essentially turned into a two-on-one basically right in front of the net while the defense were just kind of standing around doing God knows what. And then Eberle's fourth goal this is the last one uh, before Saros got pulled. <laughs> Ryan McDonough yeah. just gives him the puck. Yeah. Ryan McDonough is basically like, here you go. Do you want me to clear a path for you while I'm at it? Yeah. A defensive yeah. zone turnover. He was stripped of the puck. He fell to the ice. Lozon again, out of position, and he couldn't get back to help Saros. And I, and I think it's just more proof that, that Saros is getting hung out to dry by his defenseman probably more than any other goalie in the league. He's allowed the fourth more, fourth most goals this season. And, and I think I mentioned earlier, Lincoln has a third best save percentage. Saros has the 49th best save percentage. It's Ooh. 892. It's nice. not good. However, on unblocked shot attempts, Saros has a 939 save percentage. So he's still, he's not, he's not terrible across the board. He still has his strengths and he still has some stuff he needs to improve on. But I think pointing, making my point that he gets hung out to drive by his defenseman, the yeah. Predators have 45 defensive zone turnovers this season, 11 by McDonough. Uh, seven by Fabro and the rest just kind of mix and match in there. And I think that's a lot of the reason why it looks like he's getting hung out to dry. And I don't have the numbers compared to Saros and Lankinen or even the Predators to the rest of the NHL. But I feel like 45 is a lot of defensive zone giveaways to have. Yeah, and 11, I'm sure that, 11 is a lot for a player who makes $7 million a year almost. Yeah, and I'd venture that at least probably like 30, 35 of those 45 defensive zone giveaways probably happen when Saros is a net compared to Lankinen. And for whatever reason, this team... Plays different in front of Saros than Lincoln. And, and that's traditionally been the case with the backup and the starter because they did the same thing with Rene and Saros. They played different in front of Rene than they did in front of Saros. But I it just, yeah, I feel like it, it looks bad. The numbers say it's bad. And it's one of those things where it's just bad all across the board. And yes, he has, it, he has given up a lot more softer goals this year than he traditionally has. But also, like, I feel like the dude's doing the best he can. What is he supposed to do when his defensemen are, are turning the puck over yeah. you know, two or three times in their own defensive zone per game? I mean, what more is the guy supposed to do? Now, did Lausanne make the big save as the goaltender? Was that with Saros in net, or was that with Lankin in net? I can't remember. Remember, remember when, uh, um, remember sure. when, when Lausanne actually turned into the goalie and like made the big save, like right there in the crease. Um, yeah. I think it might have even been with Saros. There could have been worse. Is the point? Um, we're we're gonna get to uh, some some John Hines heat check here on the on the on the hot seat. Uh, what would a shakeup actually look like? Some line change philosophies, and then some conversation to lighten the mood at the end. Um, but I just. I, I don't know. Like, I agree. Saros needs to be. I think it's all things considered. Saros needs to be better. He's given up more soft goals than I expected or that we normally expect. And on top of that, you, you see how the defense is playing. And again, like we're about to get into this, but you continue to shift and change and modify all these different things, all these different lines and all these different combinations and defense pairings. And it's. I don't know how you expect a team to find any continuity. It may cost you some losses in the short term to build some of that continuity. 
but you got to have some of it. So I, I want to get into a conversation about line changing philosophy here. But before we do that, let's remind everybody of our wonderful sponsors. <laughs> right in the middle of all the sad stuff. Let's, re- <laughs> let's remind you about Jasper's and Weiss Liquors, of course, Jasper's over there on West End. Make sure you swing by. Great happy hour, great drink specials. Uh, two for one on Sundays. If you're watching Titans games, you got buckets of beer, 25 bucks for uh, for six beers, I believe. All the time. You got happy hour four to six. You got bubbly for $5 on Wednesdays. Uh, again, the family pack, if you want to cater a gathering, if you're watching a big game of some sort of any kind, I don't know, like let's say on Thanksgiving, for example, the day after you don't want to do any cooking, right? Nobody wants to do any cooking on the day after Thanksgiving. And you're going to watch USA England at one o'clock in the World Cup. You want someone to cater that event, you go to Jasper's. Jasper's has you covered. The family pack, like 160 bucks, feeds like 10 people. And if you got kids, it feeds even more. Uh, and the kids loved it. Family loves it. It's just awesome. They've got a special for you and your family, no matter what. So check out Jasper's. Weiss Liquors, of course, since 1932. Family owned and operated. Support local business. Andrew, the manager, great with the wine selection, great with the bourbon selection. He'll help you pick out something for whatever occasion you need. Uh, he's got you covered. So check out Weiss Liquors. Check out Jasper. Support our local sponsors. Okay. If, if you have a, a big weekend coming up, you need a strategy. You go to Weiss Liquors and you go to Jasper's. John Hines' strategy around changing players. Here's the one thing I, I, I'll, I'll say I actually don't mind. Because it seemed like, and, and correct me, I'm getting them all confused, but either Vancouver or Seattle, he just kept changing guys on the, the, the Johansson and Niederreiter line. Just there's a new player out there. It was Forsberg, and then it was somebody else, and then it was somebody else, and then it was somebody else. And I don't mind tweaking things in the game. Maybe somebody's having a good game. Maybe someone's having a bad game. You want to either minimize the bad game or highlight the good game. Maybe there's a good matchup you've discovered throughout the course of the game that you want to you want to continue to go at harder. So maybe you move a guy a line and you change things up, and and, and that can help you, I think, in the moment because you have to be able to make changes on the fly, especially if you're finding something that's working really well against another line or another team. That I think I'm okay with. I don't mind that. It's a little weird, but I don't mind it. The stuff that's bothering me now is the amount of change that we've had from game to game to game to game. And I know they just had the same lineup two games straight, and they gave up seven goals in the first period combined <laughs> with that lineup. Uh, but I don't, I mean, I said I like Jankowski, but McCarron. Sanford on the second line, it's not working. Uh, Cole Smith, I don't know what he brings to the table. Not not trying to be disrespectful here, but like, I not a we, lot. What is the point of how do you how do you build continuity if you're just going to continue to change the lines all the time? I, I don't know. I, I don't think you can, and I think that's that's the problem. And we we saw this a few years ago with the defense. With you throw PK Subin on there, and you think, oh, here's an all star defenseman. You mix him with Ekholm, who's another all star defenseman, and it's just going to be magic. And it took them most like three quarters of the season to finally build that chemistry and they look really good headed in the playoffs. And I think we're seeing the opposite with the forward lines because there's just, there's no continuity. They haven't had any, had a chance to develop any kind of chemistry and kind of looking at money puck, um, looking at the forward lines on there, they have, they've had 14 different forward lines that have played <laughs> at least 10 minutes of ice time per game. I think, I think the number of total forward lines counting, even if they played like a minute, I think they've used 21 different forward combinations which is just completely insane given that they they tried Sherwood on the second and fourth line and then Tolvanen and Glass and Jankowski gets called up and you have Cole Smith and and that's not even counting 
that realistically we could see Philip Tomasino back in Nashville. We could see Igor Afanasiev in Nashville. We could probably see Parson in Nashville. I wouldn't rule out seeing one of the AHL defensemen coming up. Maybe. I mean, the, well, there's when 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 they sell all the pieces and Carl Taylor's making the decisions. Of course, you're going to see a lot of those AHL yeah. players. Too well, soon? I tweeted. I tweeted it's this too morning. Too soon for that joke, or no? No, I think it's it's spot on, and we'll probably be laughing in in a month's time that that's actually what's going on. That's not like, laughing material. It's terrifying. Like I tweeted this morning, Milwaukee, the Admirals account tweeted out their lines and stuff for the, the game they're playing this morning, and I said three of these four lines in Milwaukee look better than Nashville's fourth line right now. Man, I I I. I, I it, it puzzles me that John Hines and when you see someone making these kind of decisions and changing the line so much as a fan, you're sitting there and you're probably wondering, does this guy know what the hell he's doing? And then if you're sitting there and you're on the coaching staff, I mean, I'm sure they're probably like, yeah, whatever head coach says goes, but I'm sure a lot of the other guys there and even the players to agree are probably like, what is he doing? What's going on? I'm, I'm sure Ryan Johansson probably doesn't like that. He knows Nito Niederreiter is going to be on his left side, but he has no idea who the hell is going to be on his right side from, you know, five minutes from now. So I think this is something that's a big issue that's plagued them. And it's funny because the running joke was Peter Laviolette couldn't leave his lines alone. I think John Hines is worse than Peter Laviolette at switching up his lines. And to your point, he does it more, he does it on a game to game basis and he does it more in game than I think Peter Laviolette did. Again, I don't have a problem with the in game because I can argue why it's happening. Like, yeah, based on the matchups that are unfolding, I I understand that. So, so and so is playing really well. So and so is not playing playing really well. I I really like this matchup against that player who clearly can't skate with this guy. And like, you could come up with reasons why why you should do that in in the short term in inside of a game as it's unfolding in front of you. But you can't build like like you said. If Johansson has no idea now, again, some of that is that they're searching. They haven't found the right piece. I can tell you, it's not (laughs) twelve. Like it's it's not thirty six. I there's some guys in the twenties. (laughs) <laughs> that, might, that might work on that spot. So that um, number I gave you where so they've used, they've had 14 different line combinations play 10 or more minutes for comparison, Colorado's had eight and then Tampa Bay's had nine. So the really good yeah. teams that have their, you know what together, they're, shit. they have their shit yeah. together. Yeah. yeah. Nashville is, is all over the board. So, so I mean, so I want to know, so here's the, the I, I do want to finish with like a lighthearted fun road trip see the NHL, they say, see the world, they say, conversation uh, about about some hockey arenas and just have some fun and lighten the mood. But I do want to know what, in your opinion, would a... If, 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 if John Hines is under pressure and there is hot seat conversation and the trade deadline is looming, it's not looming right now, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be at some point. And if they're not better than they are now, there's going to be some sort of shakeup either told told by him through David Poyle saying, Hey, look, dude, you got to shake things up here. We need to try something different because this isn't working. I want to know, Michael, what does a shakeup look like in your opinion? I think there's any number of ways that this can go. Um, I think the most realistic outcome, and this is probably 20, 30 games away from this, maybe would be to change the head coach. But I think if we're not going such broad, wide scale changes, I think it's going to be a shakeup of the top six. And I say that because Forsberg, Johansson, Duchesne, in my opinion, and I said this last week, needs to be the top line. They have the team's, they have the team's highest expected goals percentage. And then you look at, compare that with Forsberg, Granlund, and Duchesne. That line has been awful. How many times have we seen a goal scored for the opposing team? And it seems like the Granlund line is the one that's out there. Forsberg, Granlund, Duchesne rank, rank 11th on the team in expected goals percentage. And they, they're first in expected goals against they've allowed the most goals of any forward line on the team, which is nine, six more than the next closest line. Jeez. And they've allowed 113 shots against 
the on ice save percentage when those three are the forward line on forward line that's out there is 81.8. All that to say, the Forsberg, Granlin, Johan, Forsberg, Granlin, Duchesne line needs to be broken up. They, they are you, they are minus 20 combined on the season. Yeah, I think you switch Granlin and Duchesne and you put Granlin on the second line with Nita Ryder. And I don't know if you put Tolvanen on that line as the as the second winger. I don't know if you make Glass the center for that line. What what how about this? I would, put Tanner, I would put Tanner Genoa on there, and I would break up the herd line. No, I, know, I, say, I know. And I would what, say this. There's there's what, numbers to back that up, though, because the herd line is statistically the second worst line behind the Granlin line on this team. Stop, I'm not just... Stop with all this negativity. <laughs> I'm not just crapping on them, but they, they've given up the second most goals. Their expected goals percent... Their, their expected goals against is the second worst behind the Granlin line. They're just... They're not a good line. The herd line this year is not what the herd line has been the last two years, and I think you you break them up. Let me Let me float something to you. What about Niederreiter, Johansson, Forsberg as your top line? I wouldn't mind that, but I just feel like Forsberg and Duchesne just have so much chemistry together, it would be a mistake to break them up. I just they, Johansson and Niederreiter have been very, I mean, those two have been pretty good. They got 10 goals. That I mean, that, that, that group has been better than those two, at least, have been, have been solid. I'm not sure I want to break those two up either. Yeah, I would buy into Niederreiter, Johansson, and Duchesne. Um, I just feel like Forsberg okay. and Granlin played better together than Granlin and Duchesne played better together. So okay. I would I would be okay with that happening. And then maybe your your second line is Forsberg, Granlin, and, and Janot or something like that. Well, so he's already tried a few things. I mean, you know, again, benching Carrier for Jordan Gross is shaking it up, bringing Jankowski up. That's a, that, you know, it worked one game and then it didn't work again. Um, Jankowski, I think, is a piece that I actually like. If you're talking about a true shakeup, I think Jankowski is a name that I like to see more on the team. Um, I, I, I'm not sure what Zach Sanford, Michael McCarron, Cole Smith, like, I don't know what these guys are bringing to the table right now. Uh, yeah. And, and, and against teams like Seattle, we saw last night and against teams like Colorado that we're probably going to see, you know, tomorrow, the, the speed teams, you're, you're going to get smoked by these teams because you don't have the firepower to keep up with them. I would get rid of Cole Smith. I would get rid of Michael McCarron. They could probably be really solid players in Milwaukee. I would put I would somehow find a way to get Ellie Tolvanen back in the lineup. He may not be scoring goals, but he's probably your second or third best four checker. And he's got speed. He's got a shot. He's one of those guys that his shot is so good that if you just get him enough time and space, he may throw up five or six shots on goal. But one of those are going to go in eventually. Well, that was my thought, too, when I saw Cole Smith like standing in the slot with the puck. And I was like, man, it sure would have been yeah, nice to have nothing. a guy. Would have Well, no, he had the puck. And I was like, it would have been nice to have a guy who was a sniper standing there. Yeah, and Tol- Tolvanen may not be playing great hockey right now, and clearly Tomasino and Tolvanen, there's a reason they're not playing. Whatever, we're not the coach. We we understand, but if Tom if Tolvanen or Tomasino are the guy that finds that puck in the slot right there in front of the goal, I feel much more confident in one of those two guys burying the shot than I do a lot of the other names. Like I just yeah. don't like I I am int- I'm intrigued by Jankowski as I've said now by like like five times. And I think Jankowski Tolbin and Tomasino, something's got to change. I think Jankowski is good enough that if you want to put him on the second line with Niederreiter and Johansson, he can fill that role. It's probably not his strong suit to be a top six forward right now, but he can fill that role. But I think he's better suited to be. I think I would like to see him centering the fourth line with Tolbin and Glass on, on his wing because I think that would be a really good fourth line okay. that gives you a little bit of grit, but it gives you a lot of speed. It gives you the the upside, the potential of scoring, and I think. I think a position change for Cody Glass is probably best. I think putting him out there and trying to make him a top six center right now is a little too much for the kid and putting too much on his plate. I think you free him up and move him to the wing, all of what we saw with Matthew Shane. I think you see the playmaking ability of, of that kid come out. It's interesting. Um, 
I mean, at this point, I do feel like we're repeating ourselves. Like Tolvanen, Glass, Tomasino. Like, let's get some yeah. skill and some speed into the lineup. What you're doing is same. not working. Is it really going to be worse if you take the guys that aren't playing and put them in there to see what happens? Right. What are your other options? What happens? You you lose a you lose a game seven to four instead of seven to two. Like I, I don't get. Uh, yeah. It. I, right. Like at least it's worth a shot at this point. Like I mean, if you're going to continue to change the lines every time. Now I will say that because I, I don't think we need to talk about the hot seat with John Hines all that much today. We talked about it a lot last week. I still am not changing on my opinion. Uh, I'm, I'm not either. I think he's gone sometime this year if things don't drastically <laughs> change around. I, I just mean that I'm not making a move until 2023. Like whether that's in January, like it was with La Violette, or whether that's in around the trade deadline, I, I'm letting at least this calendar year play out. I'm not. I'm not making any rushing to any judgments here. And to my point earlier, and and again, we we saw this in January 2020 when Peter Laviolette was fired and John Hines was brought in. I don't buy into the fact that Peter Laviolette lost that locker room. I think the locker room seriously questioned if Peter Laviolette had a vision or kind of knew what he was doing because he was doing a lot of the same things John Hines is doing now, grasping at straws with the line combinations, not knowing what's working, what's sticking, and just changing things up so much. And like we made that joke, like Ryan Johansson, we wouldn't have been surprised if he just quit showing up to work because he doesn't know who he's playing with. And I think the same thing's happening now. I don't know what the, the timeline is for that happening, but I do think. I think it's a ways down the road. David Poyle is a pretty conservative GM. He is, but I, but like I said, if they get to the trade deadline and, and it's been much of what it is now, I could see John Hines leaving. And I think this team, especially with the players it has, it needs someone. And and here and Megan, my old It's All Your Fault co-host, will probably laugh at this. But I think they need, if they do go that route, they need a head coach, someone like Phil Housley, someone that's an offensive-minded, defenseman kind of player hmm. and would know how to okay. get how to maximize this defense because the defense okay. is the issue on this team. Yeah, uh, seven to Edmonton, five to Seattle, four in the first period, three to Vancouver, awful Vancouver, um, yeah. uh, obviously, and the, the Calgary game in there. We'll fight. Colorado could be ugly, avert your eyes, not safe for work kind of stuff. So, because I um, think that's the issue. John Hines prides himself on being a strong, hard team to play against. And I think John Hines considers himself a defensive minded head coach, but I don't think he knows how to take the pieces the Predators have defensively and make it work. And I like yeah. Lozon, Fabro, Carrier, those, those are the three guys that are struggling the most. And I don't think John Hines knows how to fix them. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, so again, a shakeup's coming. I will say this about Hines. I don't think he does himself any favors with his in-game uh, like mannerisms and coaching style, just like physically, like his physical appearance. And he that's not interested a lot. Yeah. Well, right. And that's not a reason to to fire or not fire a guy. It's not an indication that he is or is not involved in the game. It's purely aesthetics, it's purely optics. But if you have a fan base that's very pissed off about how the team's playing, they don't need a, a reason. And you have a coach who looks like at times, I mean, he's a very hands-off guy during games. There's one time, I, I don't even remember when it was during the Seattle game, but but I, I look up and he's just like looking around, like looking at his paper, looking at his team. They're, they're, he's not talking to anybody. And again, that is part of his style, which if it's working, you're like, man, what a genius. He's hands-off. He's letting the guys do their jobs. Like it, if it's working, it's fine. But when it's not, it it comes off as disinterested, even though he's not. I'm not saying that he is. It's just bad optics sometimes the way you can behave during a game when your team is down five to one. Like it's just not you yeah. need to look you need to look like you give a shit sometimes. And and it and it again, it's not his style. I'm not asking him to be a different person, but it is what it is. So uh all right, let's finish on a on a fun, lighthearted note here. Go to Jaspers, everybody, of course, support local business, go to Weiss Liquors. Uh, we've got Colorado, the Rangers, Minnesota before we, we hang out with you guys next week. So here's what I was thinking to try to lighten the mood a bit. Because I think the road trip they just went on would be my number one. If you can pick four games, 
And I guess I would include Winnipeg if I had to go with five. But if I could pick four games to go on a road trip and go see four buildings, four teams, four cities in four places in the NHL, you can pick any four, but they have to be sort of regionally tied in, in some way, shape or form. Like, like, you know, in the spirit of the game here. Uh, if you told me I could do Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Seattle, like the the food is extraordinary. I like I've been to Victoria, which is right near Vancouver. I've been to Seattle. I've never been to Calgary or Edmonton. I think the the stadiums and the history of those fan bases would be great. I've just never been to like the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan <laughs> or whatever. Like I want to Alberta. I'm not even sure what province they're all in, but I need to. I want to go, and I think that would be that would be my number one like group of four, like you can go watch the Preds and follow them over a week and a half with your buddies, drink some beers and eat like really good food at some cool places. I think I would vote Seattle, Vancouver, Calgary, and Edmonton. I think that'd be my vote. Yeah, it's not, it's not a bad one. And for someone like me, who's never been to Canada, that would be an awesome experience to get to to go and see a lot of, I, I, it's on my bucket list to go to Canada and, and go to at least one HL arena up there. So that's something that I think would interest me too. I, I kind of went a not a different route, but I so I picked four games that are sandwiched by one home game. And I went to the end of December where they have road games at Anaheim, at Vegas. Then they play at home on January 3rd against Montreal. Then they have two more road games against Carolina and Washington. Oh, you're you're, pick, have, you're you're picking actual games on the schedule. Yeah. No, 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 no. Just th- there's no rules here. Just pick four. You just get four cities, and like, let's just hypothetically say the Preds oh, are playing. This was yeah. not explained to me <laughs> properly because I was sitting here. I'm like, they don't have four road games. That no, are no, no, no. You back get to, to back to back. So, like, for let me let me give you another one for example, because I have no desire to go to Los Angeles at all, no desire. But but if you gave me Vegas, Denver, San Jose, which I've never been to, and Arizona, okay, that's fun. Okay, those four are not bad. I don't care about the Kings or the or, or uh, the Ducks. Don't have any desire to go to Southern California. Uh, but the other one that would be number two on my list would be Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, and Boston. Though that uh, those are the four I would pick because I've been to Madison Square Garden. I don't. Do I need to care about Buffalo? I don't know. <laughs> I have no desire to do the Minnesota, Chicago. I mean, Detroit would be cool, but like it's the new building, it's not the old building. Uh, just pick four cities. Okay, I got you. On the road, like uh, to me, Seattle, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton would be four that would be my number one list. Number two on my list would be Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, and Boston because of the history of those cities and the history of the fan bases, and especially Toronto and Montreal and Boston. Like those three, Ottawa is yeah. sort of like a <laughs> Ottawa is sort of like a throw in, but Ottawa is a cool place too. Like I hear good things about all those places. So okay, just, so then being the the native New Yorker and the northerner that I am, I would probably <laughs> go Pittsburgh, Boston the Rangers and the devils just because the devils have a surprisingly good, surprisingly good team this year. And there's not really much in Jersey to go there for, but if you do go to Jersey, go to go <laughs> see the devils play, I guess. Um, I grew what about up in- the new, what about the new Islanders arena? Isn't that supposed to be like spectacular? Yeah. But if you're going more for the arena than the on ice product, yeah, I, I, I think that's a little bit of a waste of money. Uh, maybe if they didn't fire Barry Trotz and they they had a you know a playoff contending <laughs> See, team, I'm not, but... it's so funny. Like none of this is I didn't even consider on ice performance in any of this. It was like, what city do I want to hang out in? What arena do I want to visit? And like, where do I think it would be fun? Yeah, I mean, I've never I've been to Pittsburgh, but I've never been to the Penguin Stadium. Uh, okay. I've been to Boston. I've been outside of the Bruins Arena, but just watching, they look like they have a really good fan experience as well. 
grew up in New York. Like I love Madison Square Garden. I I don't need a reason to go there. I just tell me there's something going on and yeah, I'll awesome. go there. Um, and I, I'd like to see I'd like to see New Jersey play because I think they they have a, okay. a surprisingly good team this year. So I feel like the the Northern New York, Boston, Pittsburgh kind of swing up there. Would but be not there. Philly though. No Philly. You're just. No, people okay. from Philly are just kind of jerks. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would like to avoid them. I've, I've been in the South too long that I don't think I can deal with people from Philly or even people from New York for that matter. But it's probably true. What's yeah. funny is like no one. If if you send send us your list again at MG Sports underscore at Braden Gall at four forty Sports. Send us like your your dream. You and your buddies are going on a dream road trip. Four straight games on the road. They have to be sort of close by. They can't. You can't. You can't pick like. Tampa and San Jose. Like, I don't want that crap. Like, give me give me the four <laughs> games that you could, like, physically, legitimately go on a road trip for. Again, this is why Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and Seattle hit me when I was watching the schedule. I was like, man, that's, you know, the amount of sushi you could have. Like, the amount of food you would eat. Like, you just eat the best food in the world in, in a lot of those spaces. I, I've been to the Garden, so I don't, uh, New York's in Madison Square. So I don't, that one kind of, I, I didn't consider as much. I'm curious about people that have been to Buffalo if it if it's worth going because the fans are so good. Um, you mentioned you like New Jersey. I can't. I mean, maybe Washington's interesting. Like the ones that are not going to get picked at all, in my opinion, like Columbus. Yeah, Col- Columbus is it like a non-starter? Now I hear cool things about Carolina, but nobody Colum- wants to go to Columbus unless you're Johnny Gaudreau. No, Columbus is not interesting. If you're doing the Midwest, I think you could do Minnesota, Chicago. You know, Detroit, maybe either Pittsburgh or Winnipeg, if you want to go either into that geographic spectrum there. But Minnesota, Chicago, yeah. Detroit's not a bad trio. You just, I, I will you know, say that I going to a Minnesota Wild game in Minnesota is on my bucket list just because I've yeah, heard it's a, it's a yeah. different experience. I mean, the whole state of hockey thing and yeah. people are crazy up there. The fact that the athletic has two Minnesota Wild beat reporters instead of one. I, I would love to go to Minnesota and, and go see a wild game up there because I've heard they have a great fan experience as well. I think that would be my if I was going to go Midwest. I think it would be Detroit, Chicago, Minnesota, Winnipeg, and I guess your your Winnipeg is kind of shoehorned into that conversation a little bit because it's yeah. kind of out there. But um, the Northeast one, I had a tough time with because I was like, which ones do I? Which one? But to me, it was the Canadian teams and then Boston. Boston is the one I want to go That's to fair. that I've never that I've never been to for some. Have you been to the Boston Guard? Like, have you been to see a Bruins game? I haven't. I've I've been to the arena, but I've never watched the game inside. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, otherwise, like Dallas, no interest. No, uh, LA, no interest. I've been Tampa, to a Dallas Stars game in Dallas, and it was, it was, it was amusingly dreadful. T- Tampa and uh, Florida, not really interested. Yeah, <laughs> if I'm watching hockey, I don't want to walk outside after the game's over and start sweating. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I just think it was an it was a fun exercise and. And it obviously because of the, the way the team has played or, or the the the, game, the the road trip that it's currently on, I was like, man. And I was hearing stories about John Hines and the team, like you know, Hal and Chris and the guys are all eating like just extraordinary food. And I, my wife and I loved everything about Seattle and Vancouver. Vancouver is gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. We can um, take a gold standard road trip to Seattle and then record a podcast out there and have Megan on. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Crossover pollination podcasting in <laughs> in uh in the pacific northwest and of course all the players like there's so many players colton scissors johansson all those guys are from that area british columbia so uh yeah. it, i will say i took a cruise my wife and i did took the cruise up to to like skagway and juno up to alaska and as a part of that we stopped in canada and victoria and it, it is 
it's gorgeous. I mean, it is the Pacific Northwest is gorgeous. The show alone is taped on Victoria Island right there. Mm-hmm. Like they they shoot all those series where they're like, here's 10 people that are going to go live off the land in like the most harsh climate in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and they all do it right there on Victoria Island, which is like right off the coast from from Vancouver and Seattle and everything. So it uh, yeah, the, the, the Mon- I can't believe you don't want to do Montreal or Toronto like those two are t- like bucket list top of the list for me. I mean, I wouldn't mind going to Toronto, but I have I have no desire to go to Montreal. Really? Why not? I don't know. It just not impressed. <laughs> Hate, hates Montreal. Like you take it or leave it. Like the rest of Canada. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the dynamic that like uh, maybe I'm getting my uh, geopolitical trends confused uh, as as an American uh, following election day. So uh, I'd, I'd right, rather that, go to Edmonton and Montreal. <laughs> well, that sounds. Listen, I, I'm all about Edmonton and Calgary. I'm all for it. It, it yeah. sounds it sounds super fun. All right, that about does it for us. Uh, check out all of his work, uh, of course, at the Post and the Scene, Nashville Post, Nashville Scene, MG Sports underscore on the Twitters. Michael Gallagher, the Intrepid Reporter. We do appreciate it as usual. Go to Jasper's, check out Weiss Liquor, support local businesses, everybody. My name is Braden Gall. Rate, review, subscribe, and hopefully we have more fun things to talk about next week on the show. This has been the Gold Standard here on the 440 Sports Network. <laughs>